cliffcentral.com. This show contains adult content. If you find it offensive, please go to the cliffcentral.com website where there's a show for you. CliffCentral.com, it is Friday morning. This is Unradio. This is Unscripted. And this is a sex talk, which is most definitely uncensored, which is really cool to be here this morning. You look so nice tomorrow. Janti, I want to look at you when I say it. <laughs> you look so nice too. Thank you. Love makes amazing difference to life. Love maybe is the only difference in life. Absolutely. We have learned lots about love recently. Mm. We have learned so much about love. Well, this morning also we learn when there is no love what happens. Yeah. Mm. So, <clears throat> something really different today, something really cool. We are talking to Bodhi uh, from Thailand, and I hope we're going to get him on the line really soon. Um, he is a Shibari healer. So Shibari is ancient Japanese art of rope bondage, mm. and he is doing the most beautiful work. And his uh, website is going to be on our page. It's already, yeah, it's already on it. It really is amazing. On the so while media. we are waiting for him, let us do this. Ninja sex, chocolate starfish, Twitter bag, calipagia. Today's dirty dictionary word is marenthephilia. Dirty Dictionary Word. Marenthephilia. Any clues? WhatsApp us on 079-748-2090. If it was Marenthephilia, I would like to say that. People would Marenghephilia. Marenghephilia. It's like, mm, cover you in meringue and lick you all up. Oh, that's Maybe an that's, interesting one. But it's not. It's about as far from meringue as you could get. Not, Yeah. It's okay. far away from meringue. Okay. Because meringues are soft and gentle yeah, and, and fluffy. fluffy and, yeah. It's the opposite. This is not. Okay. So, WhatsApp us, 079-748-2090, and tell us what you think marenthephilia hmm. is. It's a cool word. Hmm. Yes, one of our listeners sent um, sent me a whole list of, of dirty dictionary words. Cool. And this is one of them. Mm. Mm. So Very cool. So, if you find marentha... <laughs> You find the philia. Well, yeah, it's an uh, <coughs> I never knew this one. <coughs> okay, we have some is Bodhi on the line. Hi there, yes I am. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. How Thank is, you for having me. How is Bangkok today? Well, I'm in Koh Phangan, which is just south. Uh, yes. It's, it's a little beautiful uh, idyllic island just off the coast near Suratani, which is uh, southern Thailand. Okay. Yes. Well, I it's very nice. It's a bit cloudy, but it's yeah. very, very warm and a beautiful place to be. Yeah, in the I'm sure. And I have to tell you that we would have loved to have done this interview live with you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but that's really awesome. Maybe that can happen sometime. Absolutely. And watching some of your work, firstly, we'd love to come and, and, and experience it. And also, my partner and I were talking about <clears throat> in the future, one of the things we're looking at is, is trying to put something together to make it possible to bring people like you to South Africa. Um, that would be amazing. For this experience. You've never been out here, have you? I haven't yet, no. Okay. It's, yeah, really beautiful country. And uh, we do some amazing retreats up in Mozambique um, with some wild dolphin swimming. And it's such an amazing venue for the kind of work that you do because it's part of a journey. You know, it's a journey to get there. Mm. And That sounds beautiful. Yes. Yeah, we've been looking so much at, at that idea lately of of the idea of a journey of a healing process because the, the work that I do is very much, it's a journey. 
But actually a physical journey, going somewhere different, becomes such an important part of, of a ritual. Yeah, I, I can see this. It makes sense. Yeah. The work that you're doing is beautiful. When we saw that little video clip, it really touched us. And I said, I have to get in touch with you and we have to talk about this because it's absolutely amazing. What was this, the journey that got you there? Wow. Well, I was, uh, I was a nurse for most of my uh, growing up kind of life, 18 till 30. And then I became a musician. I was traveling and slowly the journey that took me from being kind of emasculated through the nursing, working with women and not really identifying as being a man so much. I was very much happy to be living in the feminine and being empathic and being sensitive. And so this long story short was that I hadn't really integrated any of my masculine sexuality. It was very, very hidden from me. And I met a woman that said the word Tantra and I was like, oh, what's this? And she said, well, there's an event, the three days, and I'm helping run it, so why don't you come along? And I thought, well, I'm going to go, and maybe I'm going to meet really weird people, and it's going to put me off investigating my <laughs> my darker shadows, my masculine sexuality. Mm. But I met very conscious people there, very awake. Weird. And while I was there, I had an experience of being tied. Mm. So this was the first time that I was uh, in, the, in the presence of bondage, and my expectations were that it would be very sexual and I'd be very uh, having to perform and I didn't really know what to do. And two women were tying me up and I was really uh, anxious and nervous and feeling guilt and shame and is this okay? And many, many things uh, buzzing around in my head. But as the rope started to encircle my body and started to hold me, something very strange started to happen. It was like the lights were going dimmer in the mind it was becoming more black. There was much less thoughts and the body was awakening. So many vibrations and uh, surges of energy inside, which I didn't experience from doing adrenaline sports or from having sex or from playing music. It was something very new and the mind was very fascinated to follow this, this energy inside the body. What's happening to me? What is this sensation? Oh my God. And then all of a sudden, it's like the lights went out. It was very, very black and I was outside of the physical body, just an energy. I realized after this experience that I'm not the physical body, that I'm not the monkey mind, that I'm beyond. This experience taught me uh, that there's a, a doorway in the mind that can connect us back to where we came from, like back to source, and that when we have that awareness, then it puts things in perspective. You don't take things so seriously. So as the ropes were being untied, I was being sucked back into this prison, this uh, this body, and it felt very strange to come back into the physical body. Mm. And you can imagine um, the process I went through in the following days, like trying to understand what was that. And I had to learn Shibari after this. <laughs> I can so relate because the deepest bondage experience that I have had um, in in the role of receiving was also the most, Deeply spiritual experience and the deep, the most deeply energetic experience, and it had absolutely mm. nothing to do with sex. Yes, exactly. So, <clears throat> absolutely, I can absolutely relate to to the experience that you had. Mm. How easy was it to find a, a Shibari teacher? Well, I was very fortunate to be in Australia when this happened, and yeah. my sensei Asada Steve, who's uh, been a master of shibari for 30 years and lives in tokyo in japan has four dojos around the world and one of them's in melbourne so i went to study at melbourne rope dojo and this is where i was introduced to the technical side of tying and i was so searching for the soul connection the energy the how do you take someone on this journey the meditation the spiritual side but it's it's kind of taught like a martial art would be taught so you know it's Everything has an intention, every way that you move the rope or how you make a knot, where you place the knots and all these things have a reason. But until you have the technique, it doesn't kind of get revealed. It's a bit kind of secretive, this, yeah. uh, this, whole, this whole thing. And the history of Shibari is that it was very secretive the way that you were captured and tied. Uh, police officers would stand around the person that's being tied just so that other bystanders couldn't see what was happening so they couldn't work out how to escape the bonds or how to 
counteract this uh, capture. Because yeah. that's, that's, so that's the origin of yeah. shibari used by the ancient samurai mm. to tie their prisoners. Mm. Exactly. They didn't have manacles and chains. They mm. had bamboo and rope. And so this is what they used. But they had a strict code of conduct not to harm their prisoners and not to starve their prisoners. And so there's something else that they did to torture people, which isn't the same way as we would in the West, which was tie people in... Uh, very hard positions and leave them there until, you know, the circulation's nearly cut off and they're, they're not feeling so great. And then ask them the question, you know, tell me where the rebel base is mm. kind of a thing. Mm. <laughs> so uh, in this way, they would be able to present their prisoner as well in very elaborate knotwork, which made made a statement about how well they looked after the prisoner. So mm. if you had a higher status in society, you had more elaboration of the knots if you were captured in a certain district and you had a different color of rope mm. and then depending on your crime there'll be a different style of the tying so the judge could see what your status was where you were apprehended and what you're accused of uh, committing what crime mm. oh, so it's, it's, and this it's, is a history its own whole world yeah. of 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 life <laughs> and is there any documentation or any knowledge as to the transition from that into um, a more sensual, more sexual space. It's it's more kind of word of mouth. The in the 16th century Edo period, when this was happening, not a lot of things were written down. Not a lot of the ties were documented because uh, they didn't want it to become uh, not knowledgeable. They didn't, yeah. It's like a secret, a secret martial art that you got taught after 15 other martial so, arts. It's so, like the last thing as so, a samurai would be to learn hojo-jitsu, it's called, this uh, rope capture. And at some point, I think what happened, uh, my sensei was saying that the the Japanese culture was very much following the American culture, and they were seeing comic books with Indians uh, tied up and cowboys tying up the Indians and tying them to trees, and they were like, hang about, we we used to do this, you know. <laughs> and, and so they would start tying, uh, and it's very aesthetic. It looks... I tie men and women, and it looks very different on a masculine body to a feminine body. Sure. Uh, and in a masculine body, it really shows the fire, the warrior, the strength, the you know the tenacity, the muscles. And in a feminine body where there's more fat, there's more shape, uh, the rope kind of curves and bends and twists the body and produces very beautiful uh, aesthetics, very beautiful mm-hmm. shapes. So in actual fact, tying, tying someone that's got a little bit of meat on them uh, it looks much more beautiful than tying someone who's very skinny. Mm. But there's definitely this ascetic, and as soon as uh, in Japan they were tying, I think it became, wow, this looks very sexy. Let's let's incorporate this in our BDSM. And that's, unfortunately, the direction that rope is still taking in the world is that it's really perceived as a BDSM activity. It's not something you could share with a friend. It's something you only mm. should do with a lover, which isn't the truth. You can share this in a non-sexual way. It's a very, very in, mm. intense meditative technique. And for me, the side of the coin, one side was torture. This is how it was in the past. And the other side of the coin that says torture, for me, says healing. And uh, the way it's perceived, is it's, it's actually uh, sexuality. And as we spoke earlier, sexuality doesn't seem to play a big... Uh, the sexuality that we call having sex doesn't play a big part in the role of tying or being tied. It's more a, a journey of surrender and vulnerability and holding presence and connection with mm. your partner. And yes, it arises eros. The body is so awake and the erotic body is our life force. It's everything that mm. we need to flow in life and to create and to be manifesting. And it's not just about our genitals and about having an orgasm. It's uh, mm. It's awakening all of the chakras, all of the energy centers, and really connects us to everything, the elements, time and space, and to each other. And this is why it takes us in this place of a transcendental consciousness or a void space or meeting the edge of our humanity, this meditative uh, expansion of self beyond the body. That's very and this much is my passion in it. Yeah, yeah it's very much the, the principles of conscious sexuality. Of using our sexual energy for so much more than just sex, that it's a doorway and a portal in for healing, for growth, for experience, uh, for expansion, and for for the deeper connection. Absolutely. And the idea of surrender is so important. I actually wrote something about this last week, that 
it was from the point of view of before my partner can surrender to me and part of that feminine nature is yes. for her to surrender, I have to surrender to myself first in that masculine oh, way to know yes. myself hmm. before the space can be there for her to surrender. Mm. And that's what we're that's what we're doing with this is is creating a space of of surrender, and that's where so much healing happens in that moment where we can let go of so much. Yes, it's almost like the the mind is uh, having a, a hierarchy over everything, like a bit of a bully, and we only have to try and get outside of the mind and then energy is very intelligent and it knows how to release it it knows how to heal so it's taking somebody in this place of surrendering to themselves is surrendering to a deeper aspect of themselves than the ego than the mind mm. and that's where the healing happens once once you step out of the way <laughs> mm. then uh, then you're fixed <laughs> and if you stay in the way then you're resisting and you're fighting and it becomes a suffering and a pain and you become a victim and you stay in the story of, oh, this thing happened and I and I attached to that story, identifies who I am and I can't move past. So surrender is not just this um, idea of I give my power away to somebody else. Uh, it's the opposite. If you surrender to your own essence, you become very empowered. You're very much more of you is present because you're not in fear of your own energy. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we're all taught to be frightened of our own power. Like, yeah, there's, we're taught we're not worthy of love, for instance. So there's a beautiful idea that, um, and it was a guy called Bernie Siegel who first wrote about this. He's a cancer surgeon in America, and his thing was that once we have identified ourselves with a particular illness, with a particular condition, on any level—mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual—that's who we become. And until we can see ourselves as something different, we will not heal, regardless of, of what else we do. So th there needs to be yes. a really deep shift inside. If I can see myself as whole, as happy, as vital, then I can be that. But there has to be that Absolutely. first. And I think that's where working with the body becomes so important. So most of my work is touch-oriented, but it allows us to feel something different. And in the feeling, we can be something different. We can become something. Yeah, this is this is my experience as well. That when I'm giving consultation and I'm I'm using the the words and we're talking and we're like two minds sitting opposite each other, all that's happening there is we're allowing the energy of each other to find a settling place, find a resonance. And it's really nice when we step beyond the mind and go into the session space and create this safe container. That then it's a, a non-verbal dialogue. It's a touch-based, conscious touch mm -hmm. and feeling the energy. And in this way, we communicate in a very much deeper level uh, than we do with language. So, for instance, if I have consultation with a Russian lady and she can't hardly understand my accent and, and she doesn't know much English and I don't really know uh, about what she's... It's really hard to have this communication. After the session, by having had this uh sacred intimacy and this journey together when we when we come to have tea at the end and talk it's like we can both understand each other how mm. did this happen we couldn't we couldn't bridge the language barrier before mm. but now there seems to be very little barrier so working with the physical body it's really where all of the healing can be attuned yeah and working with the mind it's only telling yourself another story that oh if i think this about myself i can be healed it's it's important to have an experience of your energy, and this experience is what gives you new beliefs and tells you that you're you're whole again. Mm. Take us through what happens in a session. Wow! So, I I open the four directions, which is a, a ritual from pagan times, calling in spirit and calling in elements, and it's a kind of working with the mind to put it at ease. So we. We speak to the element of earth, and at this time we're working with the physical body, trying to ground in the space and trying to relax the physical body. So it's bringing us an awareness to our flesh and our bones, and this is like, okay, we, we're going to move through this fear, we're going to be vital, and we're going to have the energy for this session. If we turn in the east, we have 
the rising of the sun, we have light and hope arriving, winds of change, and we have anahata, this opening of the wings of the heart, this breath. So as we breathe in the air, we suddenly witness, oh, wow, there's so much more to breathing when we're conscious of it. There's, ah, there's, there's a rhythm and there's energy and there's prana in the air we breathe. This is the one thing we can't survive very long without is air. So I'm working with the elements and helping people find where those elements are actually in us. We're made of the same things as everything in the universe. As we move into the south, it's working with fire. Manipura, this place where we connect to the warrior within and uh, we have to break through our ego, our karmic blockages to have courage to change. So this is creating a circle of intention at the same time as physically trying to make a safe container for the mind to surrender into. As we turn in the west, we look at the setting sun going into the oceans of life and here we have all of the depth of our emotions which is so beautiful and we try to think about releasing the dams of where we block ourselves, where our rivers and streams of energy are just held because we don't feel that that's a good emotion. We've labeled our emotions as good and bad and we have like a big dam of anger and occasionally that will burst and cause problems. So we want to release the, the sphere of our emotions and let them flow in the session. After we have this opening ceremony, I bathe uh, people in sound. Sound is very powerful. The vibration mm. of sound helps to, I mean, everyone that's listening yeah. knows about how nice it is to listen. Absolutely. Um, but when you feel the vibration of instruments close to the body, mm. like singing bowls vibrating through your body, through the floor, and have a big drum that's uh, really shaking the body when you play it next to it, it just reminds people, whoa, I'm alive, I'm here, I'm really present in the moment, and I stop thinking so much about the past or the future, or judging myself, and I start to go into a trance with the, with the vibrations. Yeah, very visceral energy, sound. Yes, I'm, I'm originally doing sound healing, and I, f and I find it's, uh, it's taking the mind to a, a nice, safe place, and I really like to have that in the beginning before I introduce the rope. And as I introduce the rope, first of all, I've been moving the person's body before the rope gets in contact with the skin, so I can... I can see somebody uh, anxious, tense, nervous, and I can help them to relax into this uh, flow, this like an ocean, waves coming and going, like we're moving left and right, and backwards and forwards. And this is helping to relax the physical body before the rope. And I normally tie the heart line, which is across the top of the chest, the first thing that I would tie, and for the reason that it provides like a hug. It feels like, ah, oh, I feel held. Mm. Already you start to feel safe and you start to drift inside. And throughout the session, I'm following the impulse the body gives back to me. So if I start to tie somewhere and the body is really uh, moving with that, then I just follow that energy and it allows me to very uniquely tie everybody. People end up in uh, very unique positions and no one else ever went to that position and probably never, no one else ever will because <laughs> it's about your own body. Mm. Yeah, That's beautiful and it was something that struck me in a big way last week I've always known it I think on on more of an intellectual level and I've had experiences of it but it was really concretized within me this week was the constant exchange of energy and learning from what we're doing and from the people that we're yes. working with as we are giving and healing with them so that's coming back and this amazing learning and expansion all the time. Absolutely. Yes. And it's, I think there's something very, yeah, carry say on. Again. Yeah. I was saying this, there's something very important about the way we hold mm. space as practitioners. And when we enter these, uh, these sacred spaces where we hold space for somebody else to surrender to their own energy, uh, we can witness that we're always, mirroring the energy that's coming back to us, mirroring it back. So we're always giving. And in this way, we're trying to teach the person in the experience to continue to receive. Mm. And it's very hard for, for some of us to receive. Mm. Uh, we all tend to like to give. And so by staying firmly in this position of giving, holding, and uh, not directing, just witnessing, it allows someone to have to bathe in their own energy because they can't give it away so much. You yeah. have this uh, reference that it's coming to you and you keep giving it back. And like a bath that's filling up with hot water, eventually 
uh, it just going to overflow. And uh, at this point, there's catharsis, there's sobbing and crying or laughing or just a release of energy without a story, not because I'm a victim or something hurts or something bad happened. It's just like, a, oh, God, thank you. Mm. I can be emotional and it's okay. <laughs> and, and this is... This is very important, this awareness. And the other side of this coin in a love relationship is that there's also taking and allowing. Mm. Uh, your partner can allow you to take pleasure from touching them. And this way, you're doing something to your partner, but they're giving you a gift of their energy and you're receiving this yeah. gift. Mm. So knowing these these two pathways, it's really useful if you're a healer to know, to stay on the, on the side of giving and mm. this in turn, is making the, your clients stay in the place of receiving. Yeah. Mm. We just got a beautiful message from one of our listeners. You guys have actually just brought tears to my eyes. Just beautiful. I need to release and oh, feel wow. happy, fulfilled, and vital, just like you described. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. One amazing. Because one of the things that um, I've been working with on my workshops is the idea of conscious receiving. So we tend to see uh -huh. receiving as more of a passive process if i'm doing something to you or giving something to you that you're more passive in that but the conscious receiving is is really opening to consciously welcome that in to be aware yes. of it to really engage with it not just be passive in that and to mm. actually make it much more of that conscious process the connection and the exchange of that yes it's very powerful what you just said because mm. what's happening at this place is the, the person receiving is having gratitude to receive this mm. gift. Mm. And when you, are the, when you are the giver and you witness that the person's having gratitude, you feel very generous. You have almost more energy than you ever thought. That you, oh, I just love to give because this person's so grateful, mm. so I want to give it even more. And they're so, even more grateful. So mm. it's, a, it's a beautiful cycle. It's bringing... <laughs> and it, in no way, like if you are if you are a giver, mm. you do you not receive something from this? You receive the the gift of giving, and this is a beautiful thing. If if no one in the world would receive my gift of giving, and um, my gift of, of generosity, I would be a miserable person. Absolutely. I, I I want to share my love, and I want to share my light, and when it can be received, and if it's received by my my clients, I'm just so very grateful mm. that I I got to walk this path with them, and I got to shine my light and this is them supporting me in my evolution because i feel that's why i'm here i feel the best the most vibrant the most alive the most worthy to give and receive love when i'm in this space of the heart of giving and so when someone can receive actively and consciously then i'm in bliss it's yeah. beautiful yeah. it brings up something really powerful for me um that I've been, just the last couple of days, we've been talking about it so much, is that, and it comes from the idea that our sexuality is not in a vacuum, and it's a mirror and a reflection of all of our life. Mm. Um, and every aspect mm. of ourself is linked to that. But the idea of this exchange of energy on a much bigger picture to expand that, that, that what we take in, in, in the sexual and the pleasure and in the healing experiences into the bigger picture of life is that all of life is this constant exchange of energy and the gratitude for the yes. moment for whatever it is that we are feeling. And when we were talking about this, we we're putting it in the context of, in the last couple of years, a great deal of pain in our lives, but how that allowed us to get to the point that we are to be the people that we are. So I was talking about it with yes. my partner and to have the relationship that we do and that and being able to be grateful for the people, for the pain, for everything that it brought up because that allows us to be who and what we are today. Yes, very well said. We have to be grateful for our our, the trials and the tribulations, because as humans, we're, we're built to evolve through adversity. We're mm. not built to evolve through living in the balance and just being in bliss. Mm. We have to step out of bliss and find uncomfortable places. And then we learn more about about ourselves and we enjoy the bliss even more. But we didn't know the bliss was bliss mm. until we experienced the opposite. So mm. having gratitude for these experiences because they're what shape us, and it's through these adversities that we really mm. can expand our consciousness and become 
Like we have to find compassion for the people that we feel wounded us. Mm. We have to be able to forgive them so that we can forgive ourselves for putting ourselves in that position yeah. or for welcoming in that energy. Why, why did this happen? Why do I need to learn this lesson? Mm. These are good questions. Mm. Yeah. And to be just as grateful for the blissful experiences because there is as much learning and expansion and growth in those if we can bring that consciousness to them. <laughs> and we don't Isn't it funny that when – yeah, when we have a blissful experience, uh, what happens is we're, we're very happy for a moment. Yeah. And then the mind quick, quite quickly <laughs> will try and decide what wasn't just so perfect about this experience. Yeah. Like it tries to make a duality. It tries to make a good and a bad. And if we as uh, practitioners say we give a workshop and it was like 99% amazing and there was one little thing, like maybe the tea wasn't hot enough or something like this somebody <laughs> commented on. So if we finish the workshop, everyone's blissful and happy. Where does our mind go? Does it go to the bliss? And it, does it go to be in the happiness? <laughs> no, it, we, we're kind of programmed to go to the, oh, no, the tea wasn't hot enough. Mm. <laughs> so I, I appreciate what you said, that we should uh, cherish the bliss and not just focus in the pain as a place of healing. Because in the bliss is an awareness of our connection that we're all from the same place, that we're all a spirit in a manifestation. Mm. And we're all here to have kind of fun and enjoy it and live it you know and not try to escape the physical body and yeah. uh, to be super spiritual beings uh, actually to be super spiritual is to live in the in the dirt of ourselves and to yeah. process all of our shadows all of our conditioning and through this find uh, find ourselves embodied like when our spirit can be so embodied in the physical form because we welcome it because we feel at home in ourselves that's when we can manifest and that's when we can uh, bring happiness and things to our life and to others because we've moved through rather than trying to escape. Mm. I love what you said about the dirt because that's where our real spirituality is. It is in the dirt of our lives. And often the kindness, the, the, the being nice, that's often the easy part for, for so many of us. Um, there's a beautiful saying, it was on, on, on the wall of a, a center in Cape Town where we taught recently and it said that, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it was, enlightenment has nothing to do with happiness. It's about taking away the illusions <laughs> to see what's real. But we've been given this, this spiritual bullshit that enlightenment yes. is this kind of rainbows and, 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 and singing bowls and bells and white robes and everybody's fucking as happy as, yes. as Larry. And that's not <laughs> what it is. Um, it's no. this absolute kind of bullshit of what it is. It's so much into really the depths of who we are and in the dark and in the shadow. How long is an experience, buddy? How, how, just walk us through maybe. How long is a piece of string? <laughs> Literally. Okay, so in the in the beginning, I thought, well, I can give a session in two hours. This seems like a normal kind of length of time. Mm. And then it was very apparent that this just was not, not you know, case. not working. So following the energy was the next thing. So I stay with the energy. So sessions became four, then six hours, then wow. sometimes eight. Then eventually, like, I gave an 11-hour session and something <sighs> in me woke up and was like, okay, you just – you're just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving until your client has a peak breakthrough experience and it's exhausting you and in the end it's probably exhausting your client. So you need mm. to find some kind of healthy balance. Mm. So my sessions are five hours, which isn't five hours of being tired. Everyone thinks, oh, what if I need the bathroom, this, that and the other. Mm. <laughs> uh, we have Japanese tea ceremony to begin and we talk about boundaries. Well, actually, before the session, there's a consultation where we find a healing intention. We talk about the mm. shadow and we see what emotional process tools people have, what kind of journey they're on, why they're attracted to this art form, what is it they want to gain from it. And this really helps people to to kind of, ah, okay, I'm committed now. I know why I'm doing it. Mm. It's giving them the why. So this is before the session. But on the day of the session, we have tea. We check in with each other. How's life? How's things going? We talk about boundaries. And we talk about the the fact that I'm the bus driver. Like when you get on the bus, you don't, have a love affair with the bus driver you just you just check the bus driver out is he or she you know you know capable of driving the bus does it does that person look safe to me or not so mm. you make some kind of judgment you make some judgment about the bus itself before you get on it is the the tires and the windows all nice and clean anyway once you've sat down in the bus you don't really think about the bus driver again mm. you look out the window you pay attention to the other people on the bus who you find attractive who you don't 
oh, who's getting off now? Who's getting on? And any time that the bus ride gets bumpy and, and bouncy and not comfortable, you just press the bell and the bus driver pulls over, doesn't mm. give you any problems because that's his job. <laughs> and you maybe say thank you and you get off. So I remind people that this process of active surrendering isn't about just, oh, I can just take anything and I can suffer everything. It's about finding edges and finding boundaries and stating when it's too much and also stating where you where you like. You know, it's finding these desires and needs inside us that we don't know about and allowing them to be present in the space. So this takes about an hour talking and preparing and coiling rope and this kind of thing. The space is a very beautiful Japanese dojo with tatami flooring and very, very zen. And I let people select this the batch of rope they would feel the most attracted to and that's what we use and then the session begins with the sound as i said the four directions and the tying and the untying there's many different uh, positions like asanas in yoga that people go through mm. and at the end a big sound bath with just loose rope like a blanket on the body and sometimes people take 20 minutes from this shavasana this deep relaxative mm. state to start to stir to even come back to the space it's Almost like we do everything in the session, work with all the elements, go through all of the moves and then to get the mind out of the way and have the body go through this uh, energetic release so that it can finally relax. Like the, the mind is like the rider on the horse and we want the, we want the rider to dismount the horse and walk alongside the horse and have the horse and the rider uh, be in love with each other again and not be this, uh, the mind tells the body gallop and the body goes, I'm tired and the body goes, I want to gallop. And the mind goes, that's not appropriate. <laughs> so after this, um, this, after this integration of the energy, when people come back to uh, what we would call consciousness, back to the physical body, back to the physical space, then there's a moment for taking time to debrief. And, yeah. uh, and the things that people tell me are incredible. Like, oh, I was flying like the eagle. I was, it was so incredible. I never knew this uh, existed. And I, and I, and I really feel like I was outside of my body. And what is that? <laughs> um, I had a world champion, uh, big wave surfer, um, a gentleman uh, last year. He came for a session. And afterwards, he said it's the closest he came to death. And I looked at him kind of bemused. I didn't know what that meant. Mm. And he said, well, it's like the furthest I've got to the edge of my, my humanity is this session. Wow. And I'm thinking, if you put me in a big... Uh, a big wave in the ocean i'm sure i'd be much more closer to the edge of death than, than this but for some people they don't have this experience of the energetic self of the physical uh, body they understand mm. but of the energetic body of the emotional body and the causal body is the spirits um, the spiritual body that's not so understood it's it's kind of they don't know so then when they're showing it it's very much a fear for the mind it's very unknown and the mind doesn't like to go there so much in the, yeah. in the beginning. But then afterwards, when the energy is integrated, the mind goes, aha, this is something very healthy that I should do with my life. Maybe I should start a meditation practice or mm. I should do some yoga. This spirituality thing isn't all about religion, folks. It's, uh, it's really not. It's, uh, it's remembering why we're here and what's our mission and how do we want to show up in the world as human beings, as spirits inside this body? And that's so much more uh, accessible than uh, what I understood religion was as a child. So, yeah. I love the, um, the parallels between <clears throat> the, just all of this work, that it just comes back to such clear and simple principles and practices, and the practices are expressed differently. But it's an expression of the same mm. ideas, the same principles, and the universality of that is is beautiful. And the connection of yeah, I feel there's there's, so there's many paths. Yeah, yeah, there's many paths to take. And Shibari healing might not be the right path for some people. Mm. Um, it's certainly a very intense. Who is it not for? So it's not for people, and it's, it's not to be condescending. I'm not in a higher, superior state of evolution and consciousness that I could talk down about anybody else. Everyone's going through uh, a journey in life, and at certain times uh, there's obstacles. And one of the obstacles we all have to overcome is the being a victim. So mm -hmm. something happened to me, I'm a victim, and this is the perpetrator, and this person wants to save me from the story, and they're now the savior. And I stay in this triangle, this victim triangle, 
And I'm going to go for healings because maybe that's going to help. But I'm really attached to this story. Actually, I want to tell the story to everybody and I'm not so attached to getting healed. Even though I'm going to go there and try and be healed, I don't really want to let go of the story yet because I'm still not learnt the lesson. Yes. What did the story happen to teach me? Yeah. Mm. So if I consult someone that's very much in the story and they cannot see the yeah. silver lining, they haven't got the gratitude yet for the compassion and the forgiveness to understand how it's helped them evolve, then I don't want to take them through this process because mm. all they could do is re-traumatize themselves or go into a space of suffering and even though I'm very conscious about that and empathic about what's happening, I don't want to take people through a journey where they're going to punish themselves yeah. because that's not going to be healing. No, they're so just it's, not lucky. For, it's not for people that, yeah, they're it's not for people that identify as a victim. Yeah, they lock it deeper into the yeah. body and it becomes more of their definition. Ah, yes. And how many? Yeah, this, this could be true sorry. as well. Yeah. And how many uh, sessions do people do? They go all the way to Thailand <laughs> And I guess it's not for one. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, no, people come for more than one session if they fly here. But uh, generally, it's uh, people that learn about me through the community. And maybe they had a yoni massage and a lingam massage. And they did some uh, re, uh, like breath work sessions and this kind of thing. And someone suggested to them, oh, you know, if you've done all those things, maybe you should uh, investigate Shibari healing. It's like it's more intense and it's... Uh, yeah, it's possible. That I don't accept everybody, so it's it's possible that people come for consultations, as I said, and I help talk them out of it because it's it's also the same the other way that people have to talk themselves into it. I can't I can't give people the, the impetus to take the step; they have to take the step themselves. Yeah. So if people come for the first session, like I said, I'm driving a big double decker bus. It stays on the big roads and it goes around all the major cities. So it's like you live in your country, but you never visited all the major cities. Mm -hmm. No one did. So this is staying on the main roads and, and energetically going all around this somatic landscape, this interior landscape and finding out how big it is. But along those lines, it might be this volcano of desire that you would like to investigate more in the second session or this lake of meditation which you want to swim more in mm. so the second session is a bit more of a road map maybe the vehicle gets smaller maybe we're in a suv and uh yeah we can go down smaller roads we can visit little villages and uh, and talk to the tribe there and see what's happening so becomes, the benefit of more sessions is a, a possible yeah. deeper journey it becomes more about growth and exploration than about healing not that the healing doesn't happen but there's a point where yes, we well look said. at it more of, of, for me, the healing is, is, is moving from a, a state of contraction to expansion. And then yes. the, the expansion becomes more about, about growth, about exploration, about learning. And then the path that we choose becomes then the vehicle for that. Absolutely. And I should just briefly say that there's, there's three types generally – as I've been studying what I do, as I'm pioneering this, there's three groups of people that come to me. And the, the first group seems to be, I'm sick of this story. I'm sick of being a victim. And I want to release the energy of the story and get on with my life. And this is beautiful. And it's very transformational for that group of clients. And the second group, uh, the, oh, my God, I work so hard. I'm in my mind all the time. I try to control everything. I'm kind of anosmic. I don't feel my physical body. Uh, so well and I want to get embodied and I want to explore myself and see how this this thing works you know this energy body and then the third group uh, are probably more what we just got to which is I understand my physical body and I and I've worked through my some of my victimness and I'm in a place where I know I have a shadow and I just don't know what else is in my shadow mm. and I'd love to go there and see what will come up from from the depths what's next for me to work on what's uh, what's going on for me right now? This can give uh, also direction to people that are on the spiritual path, and this is uh, the reason to come for a repetitive kind of times because every time that you go to look in the shadow, even though I, for instance, have worked on issues with my father, uh, every now and again, uh, the same issue will appear. And I'm like, I thought I dealt with this, but I'm just mm. seeing it from a different angle. Yeah. I have like another facet of this issue that I still didn't uh, clean up. And this is the way it's like a spiral. We, we're working from the bottom and we're trying to spiral inwards towards the top where our shadows and our light all 
come together. It's like all embodied inside us, all allowed, all accepted. And on this spiral, we keep coming across the same pattern again and again, but from different uh, different viewpoint. We see it from a different place. It doesn't affect us in the same way as it did before, but we still see that it's sneaky and it's hiding and it's <laughs> coming out when we don't want it to. And uh, And when we lose consciousness for a moment, we flick back to that pattern and we yeah. act in a way that we're like, oh, my God. I'm acting in my pattern again. Yeah. Yeah. How got, did this happen? I thought I worked on it. So <laughs> I've got a beautiful message. It's never, never ending. <laughs> I've got a beautiful message here with a question. Uh, we know the answer, but it'll be interesting to say it. So it says, hi from Zurich, Switzerland. The combination Shibari Tantra sounds very beautiful to me. I recently discovered the video on Facebook and was completely fascinated. One of the user's comments, though, first made me smile, but also think about it in a deeper way. Do you also tie ugly people? (laughs) Although this question seems superficial and silly, I can imagine the source of these doubts, because, of course, the rope model in the video is very attractive, young, and slim. Being a woman of size and overweight, I surprise myself thinking, oh, this experience is only something for others which of course is nonsense. I know that being tired would have the capacity to heal something regarding this entire body acceptance stuff. I don't know if this comment is of any help, maybe just an invitation to point this out. And thanks for the amazing podcast. So we're really getting around the world today because we've talking to you in Thailand. She's amazing. So a message from Ireland and now from Switzerland, and we're sitting here in Johannesburg. It's amazing. So yes, the experience is for is for sometimes. everybody, regardless yes, of, of, the, everybody. Of, of the physical body. Yes. Um, the, the largest person I tied is 130 kilos. Mm. This is a very big person. Yeah. And it was a very powerful session, and it was very, very, very beautiful. What I could uh, suggest is in the future I'm going to try and produce another video which has a range of people in it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. men and women of varying sizes and varying ages. The oldest I've tied is 62. And uh, interestingly, when I'm tying uh, women and men between 55 and 62, the issues they come with are issues from being five years old, from being children. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're always working uh, to get back to how we were born. It's like the longer that we're here, the further we get back in the ages. Like maybe I'm in my 40s, I'm working on my school years at the moment. So let's see when I get to 60. <laughs> but yes, it's um, it's beautiful to tie uh, anybody. And it's, this experience is for everybody that feels a calling to do it. So mm. it's, uh, and there's no such thing as an ugly body. No. <laughs> um, all our bodies are unique and very beautiful. Um, and I, I adore to tie uh, anybody. So there's something happening for me that's uh, transcendental. It's beyond this, uh, This how does someone look physically? It's about an energy. Yeah. If I feel a resonance with my client, I can feel a love, an unconditional love for that person, and that's whether it be a man or a woman. And, and whether I find them physically attractive or not, from, from this place of the mind, it makes no, no difference to how the energy flows in the session. Yeah, that's it's really abs- beautiful that's- to see see this that's an absolute irrelevancy it's much more about the heart connection yeah and the body just becomes a simple manifestation of that and yeah i remember in the early days of 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 my journey thinking about that and realizing that becomes an amazing opportunity for me as a healer to get more into my heart and more into my love than anything else and that's incredible incredibly beautiful and powerful learning it really is, yes. Wow. It shows that we have the ability as humans to connect with the heart to mm. every other soul. We can find beauty and divinity in everybody. And some people uh, are, are like hiding that, like have many, many masks and many, many layers. And you think that we can't see it. But we can. If we're a good healer, we can, we can see through all of the masks. And we can help by witnessing that. We can help somebody witness it in themselves. And then slowly disrobe all of these veils and see that, wow, I'm a beautiful soul. I'm a beautiful person and I deserve love and I deserve uh, abundance and acceptance. If we could all come from a place of love before we came from a place of fear, then the world would transform overnight. Mm. Absolutely. 
this has been really beautiful sharing. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to, to connect with us. Um, I'm really, Thank you, John T. I'm really grateful, and I really look forward to sitting across a tea ceremony from you. That would just <laughs> be really beautiful to share and to continue our discussion. Yes, many more things to talk of. Absolutely. I'm very happy to support your show, and I wish you uh, you know, blessings for the future. Thank you very much. You Thank too. You. So, our dirty dictionary word, and let's see if you have any thoughts on this. Marinthophilia. Any ideas what that Save might us, be? Save us, buddy. Help us. Mm, so, I think philia, philia speaks a little, bit of, a little bit about death. Uh -huh. So, maybe there's something to do with death in this. Nah. I'm thinking necrophilia, you know, necrophilia. <laughs> no, 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 like, no, no, no. So, is it not this? No. It also sounds like a lovely word for a plant. <laughs> maybe, it's some, maybe it's being brushed with a beautiful lotus petal or something like this. It is, but it's going to be a cool word for you to add to your vocabulary. Because marinthophilia yes. is arousal and pleasure from being tied up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is a... I have to find out how this word is constructed. It's very interesting. That's marinthophilia. And it's very true. Yes. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's that's a whole aspect we didn't touch on. This. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, thank you and have a beautiful day. And we wish you so yes, much Yes, you pleasure. too. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So some really cool stuff coming up is on Tuesday the 3rd, Monday the 3rd of July, I'm yeah. doing a free talk on exceptional sex. Places are limited. The venue is not very big. So you do have to book for that. The information is on my Facebook, Facebook page. page. And it's also in the newsletter, so just send an email, johnt at eroslife.co.za. This has been really beautiful sharing. It's wow. a whole new so like amazing world. And if you haven't seen the, the video, go and look at it. The, the links are on all of our, all of our Facebook and Twitter, Twitter pages. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly beautiful and it will give you an amazing idea of this process. So thank you for being with us. That was amazing. Baby, if you're listening, I love you. And I wish you all so much pleasure. Cliffcentral.com